0: We are studying 1st Corinthians and as Pastor John mentioned this is not a a book or a biography or Paul's autobiography 1st Corinthians is a letter we are reading someone else's mail this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and it actually isn't even his first letter this probably should be called 2nd Corinthians we don't have his first letter but this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he planted in Corinth and just as a refresher we need to know his audience right what was going on in Corinth as this church was growing and and living out the ministry that God had called them to to reach out and make disciples well again Corinth what they say all roads lead to where Rome but you could also say that all roads traveled through Corinth. It was a crossroads by the sea from the east to the west and by trade routes from the north to the south. And because of that, it was a hub for commercial activity there were tolls to be paid, port fees, merchandise taxes, temple taxes. There was money to be made. If you've ever been anywhere where there's just a, uh, an attraction, something that draws people in, like Disney, Disneyland. What do you have around Disneyland? A bunch of businesses trying to make money off the fact that people from all over the world are coming to enjoy the happiest place on earth. That's Corinth. Over 750,000 people, and that made it a draw, because there was money to be made, and there were plenty of ways to spend that money. There was plenty of opportunity to satisfy the most basic of human urges. And that's as again, as Pastor John said, the word Corinthian, that term, it took on new meaning. People would use the word Corinthianize to mean going to the devil. The word Corinth became a verb that meant adultery. To be a Corinthian was an insult. It meant that you were an immoral person. So we kind of get the idea of the, the demographic that this church was existing in. Now in 1 Corinthians 2, we saw that Paul came to this church with much trembling. He says, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. The Lord even spoke to Paul as he first came to Corinth in Acts 18. The Lord said to him, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Corinth was even intimidating to Paul himself because they were a a pluralistic society just like us. There was, because of the, the draw, it was a melting pot of races and religions and worldviews and creeds all coming together in one place. But in that Paul saw opportunity these roads that carried cargo all over the, the uh, ancient world, he saw it as an opportunity to carry the gospel in every direction. And we know that Paul spent a year and a half their second most amount of time that he spent at any single location when he was on his, his missionary journeys. So now, Paul, as he left Corinth and he continued on his missionary journeys word, word traveled back to him that there was trouble in paradise that there was issues in Corinth divisions and contentions in the church a return to Greek philosophy and the ways and thinking and wisdom of man an elevation of man over God not just in the world but in the church and isn't that a danger that the church has always faced That we would, instead of changing the world around us, we would be changed by this world. So Paul is writing this letter as an answer to uh, this conformity that the church in Corinth is experiencing. And Paul is calling the church back to its purpose, reminding them of their identity And it's a reminder to all of us. So let's continue. 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse one. Paul writes, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Literally translated, when one says, I'm Paul's, And another says, I'm Apollos's, are you not worldly? So Paul begins chapter three here and he says, I I want to speak to you as spiritual people. Now the word spiritual, just like now in Paul's time, in Corinth, it meant something very different than it means in scripture. When you hear the word spiritual and people are talking about spiritual things, what are they talking about? They're talking about the immaterial, the invisible, the mystical, the supernatural. It's funny when Aaron and I, we we just got away for a week for our 20th anniversary. And we were, I'm not gonna tell you where we were, but we were in California. And one of the conversations we overheard at dinner was just mind-blowing to me. We were sitting at a Mexican food restaurant, and I overheard a a table of uh, people talking about their weekend, and one of the ladies said, man, my energy was just crazy last week. I was walking around the house, and light bulbs were bursting, and the TV was turning on and off, and all of her friends said, oh, that's crazy. They they acted like it was just normal, like she had gone to like a a neighborhood market and bought groceries. It was just a normal part of their everyday life. To her, that's spirituality. She got into microdosing mushrooms and things like that, but this is (laughs) how our world sees spiritual things. It's mystical. It's supernatural. But when Paul uses the word spiritual, we need to understand that he means one thing. It means being filled with the spirit of God. That we have experienced a life transforming event when we believed in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, God came and dwelled within us. So when he says, I have come to you and I wanted to speak to you as spiritual people, he's saying, I want to talk to you like who you are. Remember Jesus that night that he spoke with Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus, assuredly I say to you, unless you are born again, you're not gonna see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was confused. How how can a man be born again? How can a man uh, return to his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Paul is, Jesus is saying that the church, a gathering of the called out ones, that's what the word church means in the Greek. It's a gathering of the called out ones. It's a gathering of the Spirit-filled And although the one who guides us and directs us can't be seen, we move together as one body to demonstrate the personhood of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes Christianity so unique. There is no other religion in the world where their God comes and dwells within them. But that is Christianity. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And Paul says, I wanted to speak to you as spiritual men and women because that's what you are, but you're not growing up. He says, now I have to continue to speak to you as if you are carnal, as if you were infants, because you lack maturity. Again, there's one of those Christian words, carnal, that you never use in your daily life. What does it mean? It means worldly. Literally, the word is flesh. And it describes these base bodily urges and desires that we all fight against. Whether it's anger or lust or jealousy. There are primary impulses that draw us away from God and away from godliness and towards things that destroy. It's the part of us that gravitates towards self-gratifying, sinful behavior. Behavior that the world would call normal. Behavior that the world would encourage. But for us, we're not of this world. for us it's simply the leftovers of an old nature it's simply the remnants of that old person that died when we accepted Jesus Christ but Paul says there's still a fight isn't that what Paul said in Romans he even in reflecting with that on his own battle he said man the things that I want to do I do not do And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I find myself practicing. That's the battle between who we are now, spirit-filled, men and women of God, his children, and who we once were. We all feel that battle every day. We woke up well aware of that battle within us. And as we grow and we become more and more spirit led, led by the person of the Holy Spirit, we mature and we become more like Christ. Remember, as Paul taught us in in Romans, when Paul taught us in Rome, he said, you are justified when you accept Christ, when you are found in Christ. And justified means that we have been freed from sin's penalty, It's done. It's over. We are now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven because of the blood of Christ. Paul also taught us that one day we will be glorified and we will step into a new kingdom where there is no sin. So one day we will be freed from the presence of sin. But in this time in between, we are being sanctified. We are being freed from sin from the power of sin. That's where we live right now. And Paul is encouraging them to spiritual maturity, being who they are, men and women, filled with the spirit of the living God, walking according to that life transforming reality. Spiritual immaturity is living the old way, giving into those remnants of the old nature, walking, like we used to. And Paul says, I fed you with milk when I first came, not with solid food, which was okay for a time, right? When Paul first planted that church in Corinth, it was okay to go over the basics. Paul had to go over the basics. They were new believers in Jesus. So for a time, it's okay to be in that place, but we should be growing and maturing. We should be moving on to solid food. But Paul says, you're not there. Time has gone by and there's an expectation that these old ways have been put behind them and that they are looking more and more like the people that they are. But the report that Paul gets about them tells him otherwise. So you would ask, so what? what, what is it? What are these immature behaviors? And I'll be honest, I am surprised at how Paul leans into Uh, the immaturity of the early church in Corinth what he addresses first and foremost what's at the top of his mind when it comes to spiritual immaturity because we're gonna see later on in first Corinthians that there was a man an excuse I'm just gonna share what's in what's in scripture there was a man sleeping with his stepmother and the church was at best, okay with it, and they were not addressing it. If I were Paul, I would have led with that in my letter. I would have said, hey, this is wrong, and we need to deal with it right now. And not that Paul doesn't see this as an issue. He'll get to that. There's actually something far more important that he needs to address. And this is really important for us because it's really easy to look at other sins that enter into people's lives. And we can be like the Pharisee, I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm so glad that I would never do anything like that. But look at what Paul is addressing first. He's saying if you don't got this under control, you're still an infant in Christ. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you're not growing up. So what is that? Well, he already he he led with it in chapter 1 unity not just unity for the sake of unity but unity in Jesus unity born out of a single mind to follow Jesus Paul says this is what I'm hearing about I hear about envy Jealousy within the church. I hear about arguments, strife, backbiting, gossip, and there's division. People are taking sides. And that's common in the world. It should not be common in the church. And if you are going to change the culture around you, you better get this very basic thing right, that we gather around no man we gather around Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Jesus first and foremost. Look at what they were divided over. Some said, "I'm Paul's." Some said, "I'm Apollos's." What, 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 what were they saying? What were they revealing about their hearts in that statement? I'm Paul's, I'm Apollos's. I think that's impor- important. It's not simply, oh, I just connect with Paul's teaching better. That's okay. I, I connect with Apollos, his teaching style, or he has a certain personality that I relate to more than, that, that's, there's no issues there. I mean, you gotta be careful about it, but there's certain people we just connect with a little bit better. But that's not what this is about. This is about elevating people to a position that only Jesus should have. And the American church is guilty of this. We elevate our leaders. We make idols out of them. And Paul says, because you do this, you're simply infants, you're carnal what are infants they're super cute but they can't feed themselves they can't clothe themselves they are fully dependent on others for absolutely everything but they should grow they should get to a a point where they're feeding themselves and dressing themselves they should become more and more independent and if they don't then there's something wrong When we first came to Christ, we, we had to lean on others, right? We had to be trained up. There was things about walking with Jesus that we had to learn. We, had, we needed help understanding the scriptures. We needed people to help guide us in what behaviors are healthy and beneficial. But at the same time, we should have been cultivating our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But what we have in the church today is a lot of people following a lot of other people and not a whole lot of people following Jesus. And that was Paul's concern. Some people never get past the stage of being dependent on others for their spiritual growth. Now, I'm going to balance that out. Well, Paul balances that out in a second. But understand this. When we look to others to constantly tell us what to think and what to feel, we become dependent on them. And not just from a pastoral teaching standpoint, when we become dependent on some outside stimulus for our spiritual walk, for our spiritual experience, if we need worship a certain way, or our podcasts a certain way, or our YouTube videos a certain way, and we constantly need to be fed by some outside source, we are elevating people to a place that Jesus should have. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but when it's replacing our relationship with Christ, that's a problem. And what ultimately happens when we elevate people into that place that only Jesus should have, eventually they're going to disappoint us. You know, deconstruction is a huge thing in the church today. People breaking down their faith, questioning everything that they believe. I believe that a huge part of that is they were following man and not God. They were looking for man to be what only Jesus can. What an amazing gift that we were given. The spirit of God dwells within us. That's why Jesus told the apostles, don't let anybody call you rabbi. I'm the rabbi. Don't let anyone call you father. There's one father. Guys, our primary relationship is with Jesus. When we expect things out of others that only Jesus can provide, we are going to become dissatisfied. We are going to become discouraged. We are going to disappoint people. And I'm going to be just transparent and honest right now. Before I stepped into the ministry, I didn't have very, and I I use the word enemy and I don't think that's the right word, but I didn't offend very many people that I knew of. But since I've been in the ministry, I offend people without even trying. And usually the accusation is, Pastor, you didn't do enough. And I'll be honest with you, I know that. The enemy reminds me of that every Sunday that I drive home. I didn't say enough. I didn't spend enough time with this person. I didn't do enough. I, I am I am uniquely aware of my inadequacies. Trust me on that. But I am not Jesus, and I, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I I, I, I as men that God has called to pastoral leadership, we do have a responsibility. And we're going to see that in a second, what our responsibility is. Not just us, but all the leaders within the church to care and to love and to serve. But I promise you, it'll never be enough because we are just men. We are just women. We are not Jesus. And none of us can be Jesus in anyone else's lives. So if you're discouraged by the church, if you're disappointed by the church, understand this. There is one Jesus and he lives within you. Cultivate that relationship and no one can take it away from you. That's why, that's why the disciples are in prison. Everything's been stripped away from them and they're singing praises. They didn't need any background music for it. Because Jesus was the most important relationship in their life now I will balance that don't worry Paul does here in a second so Paul writes you are spiritual but you're not acting like it you're acting like the world the Spirit of God lives in you but the people around you wouldn't be able to tell it by looking at you because you are acting just like them. And that's confusing to the world. When we say that the spirit of God lives in us and we look exactly like them, there's a disconnect, isn't there? And understand this, more mature doesn't mean better, right? More mature, I'm not saying some of us are better than others, but it does mean more effective. I would never say, Look at that baby. I'm so much better than that baby. (laughs) That's ridiculous. But hopefully I have a few more skills. Hopefully if you need help hanging a ceiling fan, you'll come to me and not the baby. Probably same result, but still. (laughs) So if our relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship and his spirit lives inside of us, The world will see that so again let me remind you Paul is going to get into sexual sin but before he gets to that he deals with unity in the church so if we're sitting here this morning and we've chosen sides that has to be addressed let's look at verse 5 And Paul asks the question, who who am I? Who, Who is Paul and who is Apollos? What's our role? Who are we then? Why, we're simply ministers through whom you believed. I think a better translation is servants. We are servants through whom you believed. As the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters but God who gives the increase now He who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward According to his own labor. What am I Paul says? What's my role? I do have a role. I'm not your Jesus Paul says, but I do have a role and so does Apollos. We are your servants now does that mean pastors are glorified waiters that we give into every perceived need not just pastors please don't hear, hear this leaders and when I say leaders I mean every one of you because in some capacity the moment you gave your life to Christ he called you to the ministry and there as I've said many times before every Christian has a sphere of influence so he is talking about spiritual leadership but he's also specifically talking about the spiritual leadership that takes place amongst the gathered Saints so specifically those of you who have leadership roles here at Calvary Central he says we are servants and this is how we serve. I planted. What did he plant? What did Paul plant? The gospel. When Jesus uses that analogy of the seed and the sower, he is talking about the word of God being planted in people's hearts. And Paul said, I came in and I planted the gospel, and then Apollos came along and he expounded on it, he directed you. He watered on it. But who handled the growth? It's God. God does the growing. Without the sun, it doesn't matter how good the seed is. It doesn't matter how good the soil is. It doesn't matter how pure the water is. You could be using avion water or whatever. But without the sun, it's not going to grow. So Paul says, who are we? We're just fellow workers. We're servants. It is God who does the work. So what's a leader's responsibility? What's my responsibility as a pastor? To point you towards the sun. That's what it comes down to. You know, that's why we find ourselves again, and and it may sound that I'm hard." hard on the American church but I see a lot of opportunity too. see Paul saw that he was being elevated to a place that he should not be in and he rebuked them for it we live in a time right now where men and women embrace that role they embrace that people are dependent on them they embrace that they control people they manipulate and use that role to get what they want out of other people how dangerous is that A leader's responsibility is to point people to Jesus, not to be Jesus in someone else's life. To help cultivate a dependence on Jesus Christ. Not a dependence on us. Paul says, we're just servants. We're here for you. Look at verse nine. He says, we're God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building according to the grace of God which was given to me. Remember, we learned about this in Romans. What is the grace of God that was given to Paul? His ministry of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day with a capital D, Paul's talking about a very specific day, the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work and what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So Paul uses two analogies here he says one we are God's fellow workers you are the field but it's God that does the growth I planted Apollos watered but God did the life transforming work of sanctifying and training up the church and then he turns to an analogy about building and this is something that everyone in Corinth would understand because unless you were royalty what was your house built out of wood straw Hey. and it was not uncommon these houses were packed in they were so close together it was not uncommon to have a fire because there was no uh, centralized heating unit the centralized heating unit was an open fire in your home and it was not uncommon for a house to catch fire and that fire to spread and the whole city to burn. And then that city would need to be rebuilt. So throughout history, we see in ancient Rome that cities were built, rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt multiple times. So this, this, the church would understand this analogy, but what's Paul talking about here? Again, we live in such a hyper-individualistic society that we automatically take this scripture and make it about me, right? Hey, as long as I invest in, you know, good spiritual things, then I will build a life that will last um, as long as I use gold and silver and precious stones. And we make it about us, right? But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the church, He says there's only one foundation that the true church can be built on and that is Jesus Christ. And that building in this section of scripture is the church. Now later on he will talk about how our bodies are the temple of God but here we are talking about building the church and who are the builders? It's the leaders within that particular church. Church leaders can build churches out of eternal materials or we can build churches out of perishable materials. What, what does that look like? We can take the time that we have together and we can gather around God's word and we can depend on his spirit to work in us and through us as he matures us. Our central focus can be on Jesus and his mission into this world. We can train one another up, we can equip one another to go out and share our faith so that others may be saved. That's operating and building with eternal materials, gold, silver, precious stones. Why? Because those things last forever. Now, do we still gather in a building? Yes. Do we still have a sound system? Yes, because it's easier for you guys to hear with a group this size. Do we still have to get the lawns mowed and the bathrooms cleaned? And do we have to take care of certain things? Yes, but guess what? All those things will burn one day. The things that will last and the things that are eternal are the things that we did in God's kingdom. But there's so many churches today that invest in the temporary things, and neglect the eternal things. They gather around entertainment and emotion and things that don't have a lasting value. Guys, if we neglect this, we are neglecting that which lasts forever. And Paul's battling this tendency that the church in Corinth has to think that God's word and the gospel isn't enough, that we need to turn back to Greek philosophy, that we need to turn back to the worship of men above the worship of God. But those things are passing. Entertainment, the fancy lighting and stages, bricks with people's names on it because they donated so much to the church, pictures of pastors lining the halls, VIP parking, VIP sections on the stage, if you give enough, those will all burn. They are not eternal. They will not survive the day. And you know what that day is, right? It's the day of the Lord. It's the day Jesus returns and ushers in the kingdom of God and the dead are raised and we all stand before God. And that fire is the fire of judgment. And on that day the work of church leaders will be tested, the quality of the materials they use will be tested. And I'll tell you what for Pastor John and I, we want to use the good stuff. We want to use the things that will last forever. So you won't always see an emphasis on things that are flashy. We could spend money that way. If we had money, we could spend money that way but we are always going to gather together and God's word will be the central point in his spirit because those are the things that last forever. Verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, again, the word you there, and you can disagree with me, and that's fine, but the word you there is plural. He's talking to the church. He's saying you are, as you gather together, you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit of God is here today, right now, drawing us together corporately into the ways of God. That's what worship is all about. Worship isn't singing emotional songs to get the butterflies. It is coming together and corporately singing in unison the truth about who God is proclaiming that there is only one worthy of our praise and adoration. And something special happens when we get together and we proclaim that together as one body. And it's kind of staggering what Paul is telling them. He says to the church in Corinth, you are the temple of God. You know why that would be just totally mind-blowing for them because at the time there was still a temple in Jerusalem and that was considered to be, that's where God's presence was and now for Paul to say, wait, wait, God's here? God's amongst us? God's in us? Paul says, yes. That temple in Jerusalem, not anymore. God's home is in the midst of Of us and again he'll go on to say that our body is his temple but here he's talking about the church the gathering of the called out ones that's where God God's temple is as we gather with one another and it makes me really uncomfortable today because there seems to be a just this this acceptable ill will towards the church don't get me wrong we, we've got it wrong in a lot of areas the evangelical church has got a lot of things wrong and there's a lot of men and women who have used their position to manipulate and to hurt others but we need to be very careful we talk what when we talk about the true church of Jesus Christ it seems to be the end thing to kind of tear it down but Jesus loves his bride he cares deeply about his church and I'm not talking about buildings I'm talking about us his people and if anyone defiles that means to ruin or destroys that temple what does it say God will destroy him whoa again it doesn't mean people haven't been hurt in the church or people haven't used their power to abuse, but that doesn't justify undermining the gathering of the called out ones. And Guys, one way, and again, I feel like we've been talking about this so much, but we can't move on from this passage without it. We may not speak ill of the church, but if we're not gathering consistently with the church, how do we really feel about it? I mean, that's a question that only we can personally answer. Jesus loves his bride. Okay, let's look at verse 18. Paul uses this phrase a lot. And it's pretty convicting. He says, let no one deceive himself. We're pretty good at deceiving ourselves, aren't we? If we want something bad enough we can put a spiritual stamp on it he says let no one deceive himself if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age let him become a fool that he may become wise he says humble yourself what gets in the way of growing is pride you think you know it all humble yourself For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God for it is written he catches the wise in their own craftiness and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise they are futile therefore let no one boast in men for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas who is Peter or the world Or life or death or things present or things to come all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's so again he brings it back and he flips over the worldly hierarchy of power on its head and he says you don't exist for us you who say I'm of I'm Paul's I'm Peters I'm I'm Apollos no we're yours we're here to serve you Our position isn't one of power and authority where we lord over you. We are wanting to train you up. We are yours, but we're not yours in the sense that we're Jesus. We are yours in the sense that we are pointing you to him. We're guiding you to him. So stop boasting in men. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We follow him. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us who is any man in comparison to God so Paul is saying it is just silly to elevate a man to that kind of role or a woman to that kind of role when we have the spirit of the living God living inside of us we should be finding out what that actually means and learning to hear the voice of Jesus because his followers know his voice. All things are yours. Stop saying I'm Paul's. Stop saying I'm Apollos's. Stop saying I'm Peter's. No, we are yours and all things are yours because you are Christ's and Christ is God's. John 3, we read that the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand And in Christ, we have been given every spiritual thing we need. So Lord, create a dependence in us, not on others, but on you. And you know what we'll find when we begin to depend on Jesus alone? We have a lot more grace for others.